Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our study into the book of Isaiah by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here is this week's message. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to first Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, and hold your hand there and turn to the book of Acts chapter 8. Isaiah 53 and then Acts chapter 8. If you remember, we are in the process of going through Isaiah 53. And we're focusing on it being according to the gospel of Isaiah 53. Are challenging each of us to be able to share the gospel of Christ, the message of hope, the good news, by using what the disciples of the first century had, the Old Testament. For see, the Old Testament paints a picture of Jesus. It tells us the gospel message, the gospel story. So we want to be able to take a passage in the Old Testament and to be able to proclaim Jesus. If we had need, we would have only the Old Testament. We could proclaim it. And I've chosen Isaiah 53 because Isaiah 53 is a wonderful picture of Jesus and a great description of the gospel of Christ. The last time we were together regarding this, last week we were focusing on family. But a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about this anointed servant that is spoken of in Isaiah 53 called the suffering servant. And we said there are a number of things that this suffering anointed servant did, and he did through his sacrifice, and we know that that's Jesus. We talked about that he came voluntarily. You remember that? He came vicariously. He died in our stead took our place, and then he came victoriously, that his victory is our victory, and that victory is settled. We're now in Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. I want you to read it with me there. I'll read aloud, and you read it silently as we go through Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. He, talking about this anointed servant, was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due? We're focusing primarily today on verse number 7. But I want to read it because I want to go to this Acts chapter 8. If you have your hand there, in Acts chapter 8, I want to share with you the validity of this passage regarding the gospel message. For see, this is the story when Philip was told by the Holy Spirit of God to leave where he was preaching and to go out into a desert land to find someone on a desert road that he's going to talk to, and we know that that was the Ethiopian eunuch, because God wanted the good news shared with that Ethiopian. And whenever Philip comes out there on that desert road, he sees the Ethiopian, and he sees him reading and hears him reading from the prophet Isaiah. And what he's reading in prophet Isaiah is from Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. That's what it says here in Acts chapter 8, verse 32. Now, the passage of Scripture which he was reading was this. 
He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation his judgment was taken away. Who shall relate his generation, for his life is removed from the earth? That's the exact passage that we just read, Isaiah 53, 7 and 8. But look what happens in verse 34. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of someone else? Verse 35. And Philip opened his mouth and beginning from, you need to underline this, from this scripture. What scripture? Isaiah 53, 7 and 8. And beginning from this scripture, he did what? He preached Jesus to him. Look at that again. Verse 35. And Philip opened his mouth And beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And after he preached Jesus, as they went along, he saw water. And he says, what prevents me from being baptized? In verse 37, Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may be baptized. And he answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. How did he come to learn that Jesus Christ is? is the son of God. It is through Isaiah chapter 53. (laughs) Isaiah 53, where Philip used this passage, this scripture, to preach Jesus. So we can use Isaiah 53 in all confidence to preach the gospel of Christ. We're going to focus on verse 7 back in Isaiah 53 today primarily. And this particular verse focuses on this theme, the sheep and the lamb the sheep and the lamb look at it again with me he says like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears so he did not open his mouth first question i want to answer today is why this imagery of the lamb or the sheep why is it that god uses the sheep or the lamb, to paint a picture of this coming Messiah of Jesus. Why does he do that? Well, the first reason is that this sheep or lamb relates to us. It relates to us. Hold your hand here for just a minute and turn in your Bibles to Psalm, just a few pages back, Psalm chapter 44, verse 22. I want you to hear what the psalmist says our state or our condition is. That's what he says. In Psalm 44, 22. But for thy sake we are killed all day long. Listen now. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. He says every one of us are in that condition. You know what the condition is? We are as sheep to be slaughtered. Our destiny is that we should be destroyed. That we should be slaughtered. Not just me. Not just you, but every one of us are sheep that are destined for destruction, that are destined to be destroyed. That means if we are destined to be destroyed, and the only hope we have is that somebody would take our place, amen? That somebody would come along and take our place. Well, go back to this Isaiah passage in chapter 53. Verse 6, the verse above it, it tells us something about how this lamb or this sheep relates to us. Listen to what Isaiah 53, 6. 
All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of Saul to fall upon him. What did Isaiah say before he ever got to, to verse 7, that Jesus is a lamb or a sheep? He says, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. So once again, the imagery is that we are sheep. And do you know the worst thing that can happen to a sheep or a lamb? The worst thing that can happen to a sheep or a lamb is for them to get astray. <laughs> for them to get away from their shepherd. For them to get away from that protection. Because see, there's nothing about a sheep that protects them at all when they're by themselves. I mean, sheep don't have teeth that are going to bite anybody. Sheep aren't fast enough to run from anybody. Sheep can't hide very well. There's nothing about them at all. The, the, the thing that helps them is for them to stay in the fold. Matter of fact, as long as they're in the fold, they're pretty well protected. They, they can come together and they can be safe. But if they ever get astray, then they are in danger of being slaughtered. All that the prey are looking for, all they're looking for is to look at that sheep who's by themselves. And, and that carnivorous animal would go and, and have a feast on that sheep. Whenever they stray, they are in danger of being slaughtered. And what do he say about us? All of us have strayed. All of us have gone our own way. All of us are away from the master. All of us are away from the shepherd. Every one of us, we are in danger of being slaughtered. So we need help. Amen? Every one of us are in danger of being slaughtered. So this imagery of a sheep or a lamb, it, it relates to us. In other words, if Jesus is going to take the position of a sheep or a lamb, he's taking our place. That's where we are. That's who we are. And so he relates to us as a sheep or as a lamb. The second thing, though, it relates to the sacrificial system. God established a sacrificial system whereby sin could be atoned for. If you go back and read that sacrificial system, you find out that a lamb, his blood, especially an unblemished lamb, his blood was acceptable for the forgiveness or the recognition of sin. Every day, any of those Jews would have known every day in the temple, outside the temple, a lamb was slain. A lamb was slaughtered. It was slaughtered for the forgiveness of sin. It was slaughtered for the nation. But not only that, whenever somebody had committed sin, they were supposed to bring their own lamb, their own sacrifice. And that lamb would be slaughtered and offered on the altar of sacrifice to pay their sin. Not only that, whenever we had the Passover experience, we find out that, that God told them to take the Paschal lamb and to slaughter the Paschal lamb and place the blood on the doorpost and lintel so that the death angel would pass by. It took the death of that lamb, the death of that sheep, whereby somebody could be forgiven of sin. And every Jew understood that in order for there to be forgiveness of sin, a lamb must die. A lamb is going to have to die. And the interesting thing about that is that lamb did not sin to cause its death. That lamb died for the sin of someone else. The lamb hadn't done anything wrong. 
But the lamb died to pay the price for the sin of someone else. You get the picture? See, God has said, this sheep, this lamb is going to relate to you, but also you can understand that this sheep or this lamb is part of a sacrifice that is necessary in order for the atonement, the atonement of sin. It's a beautiful picture that he paints. But, but you also know that this imagery is correct because of what is related in the New Testament. Well, what's related in the New Testament? What does it say about Jesus being this lamb? Well, whenever John the Baptist in, God, in John's gospel, when he rewrites about John the Baptist beholding Jesus and about to baptize him, do you remember what John the Baptist said? John could have said anything. He could have said anything. Here comes the Messiah. Here is the anointed one. Here is the suffering servant. He could have said anything you want. But what did John say when he first sees the Messiah, when he first sees Jesus? He says, behold, the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I'm telling you what, the greatest witness there ever was of the Messiah, of the Lord Jesus, helps us in the very first thing he says, not hidden in some paragraph somewhere. The very first thing he says is, behold, he is the Lamb. The lamb that Isaiah said is going to have to come, he is the lamb. The lamb who is going to have to be slaughtered for our sin, he is the lamb of God. Not only to say he's just the lamb of God, but he said the purpose that he might take away the sin of the world. So there you find out that the imagery is acceptable. It's right. (laughs) That's not all, though. You remember when we were reading in the Revelation? Reading the Revelation about what we would see at the Revelation. And whenever John has that revealed to him about the end time and all those climactic events. In Revelation chapter 5 verse 6 it says, And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain. (laughs) having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits, sent out into all the earth. And he came and took it out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And he was worthy to open up the seals. And who is that lamb of God who had been slain? It is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. So why the lamb? Why would he use that imagery? It relates to us. It relates to the sacrificial system. And without a doubt, whenever Jesus comes, John bears testimony, John the Baptist on one hand and John the apostle on the other hand, that this one, Jesus, is the lamb of God. He is the one of Isaiah 53. I go back to Isaiah 53. And let's focus on this lamb. An interesting thing about sheep and lambs, and there in verse 7, there are only two things that sheep have to offer. Did you know that? There's really only two things that sheep have to offer. The first thing they have to offer is they have wool to offer. They grow wool, and then the wool is sheared off of them, And you are wearing something today, probably, that has some wool in it. That didn't just appear at the store. 
There's a sheep somewhere who contributed to your clothes today. That wool is still wool, and it still comes from sheep. And do you know what they have to offer? The one, one thing they have to offer, and, and it's, it's wool. It's wool. And they have to be sheared in order to have it. The second thing, the second thing is they offer their life. That's all they've got. They've got, they've got wool and, and get sheared for the wool, and they offer their life, and they die for their life. And, and in that death, that, that sheep, we find out, he, he does two things. In, in that death, he can be a sacrifice, or, or in that death, he can be sustenance for life. In other words, you can eat sheep or you can eat a lamb. But we also found out they're sacrificed. So, so there's two things that they offer. They offer wool and they offer their lives. And in offering the wool and the lives, it means that they are going to be sheared and that they're going to be sacrificed, or they're going to provide sustenance. Two things they offer, three things they accomplish. And you need to get that in your mind. That's what, that's what sheep do. That's, that's what, where they are. <laughs> that's what they, they have to offer. And that's the imagery of Jesus. So what is it that, said, that it says that Jesus then offers us? He offers us two things, two things primarily. Two things happen to him based on Isaiah 53, 7. He tells you about the first one. It's, it's actually the second one. He says, verse 7, it says, And like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. The first thing it says that Jesus offered is that he was like a sheep that is sheared. Like a sheep that is sheared. Now, whenever that sheep is sheared, it doesn't lose its life, but it gives up everything that it has. <laughs> and I don't know if you've ever been around any sheep that have been sheared. They're the funniest looking things you've ever seen in your life. I mean, they got all this wool all over them. They go in and get sheared. They get haircut, and they come out. They look naked. I mean, they did. They look naked as can be. Matter of fact, they feel naked. They'll run hide because they act like they, they haven't got it, what they, they once had. Could you imagine having all that wool on you and now all of a sudden you have nothing? And, and they are there being sheared, offering what they have that didn't cost them their life, but they had to offer it. Well, hold on a second. Do you remember what Jesus, you remember what Jesus did before he ever died? Jesus was sheared. Of everything he possessed. Did you realize that? He was sheared of everything he possessed. I mean, what, what did Jesus tell his disciples when they, when they asked him, Hey, can we come over to your house? <laughs> hey, hey, Jesus, can we come over to your house? He said, Birds have nests and foxes have holes, but the Son of Man does what? Has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, Jesus didn't have a house. Not only did Jesus not have a house, Jesus didn't have any possessions. He traveled very lightly. It might help us if we traveled a little lighter than what we travel, amen? He traveled very light, didn't have anything. But matter of fact, all that Jesus possessed were the clothes on his back. The clothes on his back. Now, hold on a second. 
This gives you some new meaning to something you've read in the Gospels. Something you've read in the Gospels, you, you probably read it and think very much about it, but think about it. And that's whenever he's hanging on the cross, they took his garment and split it up. You remember that? And then the tunic was one piece, and so they said, let's not split it up, but let's cast lots to who will be able to get that tunic and have it. So the only thing he possessed was what he had on his body, and they cast lots for the tunic and split it up among them. They sheared him of anything he possessed other than his life. Think about that. They didn't just shear him, though, of, of, of those clothes. They sheared him of his honor. They, they, they sheared him of his friends. They sheared him, the Lord allowed him, God allowed him to be sheared of his divine protection. Up to that time, he's always been protected by the Father. That's why he could sleep in the boat and not be worried. <laughs> the father's protecting him. But in order for the son to die, the father has to withdraw his hand and allow him to go through that horrible scourging and crucifixion. One commentator said, no one has ever been as naked as Jesus was on the cross. No one has ever been as naked as Jesus was on the cross. For he was sheared of everything that was pleasant and everything that was beautiful. Like a sheep that has been sheared. But that's not all. Notice what the last phrase says. Like a sheep that has been sheared, so he did not open his mouth. It's one thing for Jesus to go through the suffering. It's one thing for Jesus to go through the suffering, but, but to not open his mouth. Let, let me give you some references so that you can write this down. You, you need to look this up when you get home. In Matthew chapter 26, I'm just going to give you Matthew's account. In Matthew chapter 26, you find that Jesus is approached by Judas and by the guards in the Garden of Gethsemane. At that particular time in the Garden of Gethsemane, they draw a sword to protect him. And what did Jesus say? Put away your sword. Put away your sword. For if you live by the sword, you will die by the sword. Put away your sword. And Jesus goes with them without a word. Then he goes through the mockery of trial after trial. He's at Annas' house and Caiaphas' house, finally to Pilate. He goes through every one of those things, and each one of those trials, in Matthew 26, verse 63, it says, they were asking him, what is it that these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent. Jesus kept silent. Before Pilate in Matthew chapter 27, verses 12 and 14, when Pilate was accusing him or asking him, are you king of the Jews or whatever? In verse 12, it says, he made no answer. In verse 14, he did not answer him with regard to even a single charge. 
so that the governor was quite amazed. He went through every one of those things without speaking a word, without saying anything, without reviling, without doing anything. He was a sheep that was sheared of everything he had, but never spoke a word, just silent. But that's not all. He didn't just give his, his possessions. He didn't just give. He just wasn't sheared. He, he also was killed and led to slaughter. Look, look there in Isaiah 53. Go back to that passage. In Isaiah 53, verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth just like a sheep. That is led to slaughter. He gave his life. He gave his life as a sacrifice, just like that lamb that was led to slaughter. How did he how was his life taken? Well, notice what it says in the first part. It says, He was oppressed. His life wasn't just snipped out. He, he was oppressed. That word oppressed means taskmaster. Do y'all remember the taskmasters of the Egyptians? The taskmasters who mistreated the Israelites, who abused them in every way? A taskmaster's job was to make a slave's life miserable. It wasn't really, it wasn't really to get them to produce labor. Their jobs were to make a slave's life miserable. And so their number one job was to torment or tyrannize someone that was under their control. And and what that word says right there is that Jesus was tormented. That Jesus was under a taskmaster. That Jesus was mistreated. That he was oppressed. It says not only was he oppressed, but he was afflicted. But the word affliction is very important because it's the idea that you don't have to be, but you're willing to be. Remember, Jesus didn't have to suffer. He just was willing to suffer. He allowed them to do what they did. He allowed them to say what they would say or to take his life or to be the taskmaster over them. He allowed that to happen. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. But what was he like? What was his disposition? He was the lamb That is led to slaughter. He doesn't resist. He doesn't fight. He doesn't revile. He doesn't rebuke. And and, and this is something. There are only a few words that Jesus said while he was on the cross. When they hang him on that cross. And, And. and those words are so precious that you, you got to think about that. I mean, here's, here's the son of God who's died, who's been oppressed and afflicted in every way. And he hangs on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them. Father, do not know what they're doing. That's the words of Jesus. It, it, it's not that Jesus was biting his lip because he wanted to say something, but he just didn't say it. He didn't even want to say anything. Because he was the Lamb of God who was slaughtered on our behalf, willingly for you and me. 
Father, into my hand, in thy hands I commit thy spirit. To the old thief on the cross, today you shall be with me in paradise. The only words that seem as though they're hurtful or harsh are the words of his father when he says, after the father's turned him over to sin and he's become sin, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But never does he revile the oppressor. Never does he blame the abuser. Never does he curse the torturer. He's like a lamb that has been led to slaughter. Not fighting, not bickering, not blaming, willingly dying for you and for me. For we are the sheep who deserve to be slaughtered. We, we, are, we are the sheep that have gone astray in danger of being slaughtered. But this one says, I will take your place. Willingly, gladly. It says in one passage in the New Testament, for the joy that was before him, he endured the cross. How could there be joy in enduring the cross? Because he knew that his suffering was for our benefit. And he loved us enough to offer that for our benefit. You want to see a commentary? Just very quickly, I'll show you something. Turn to 1 Peter, if you have your Bibles there. See something. 1 Peter... Chapter 2, this is what Peter, he's a commentator, he's commentating on what Jesus has done. Remember, he's the Lamb of God. Listen to what he says, verse 21. For you have been called for this purpose, as Jesus also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. What did Peter just comment He said, this is the Lamb of God who takes care of strange sheep. That's where we were, but now we have returned to the shepherd and guardian of our souls. The man who walks with Jesus knows that he is the Lamb of God. He is the one who fulfilled Isaiah 53, 7, and that everyone needs to know that he is their answer. And he is their hope. A German church has at a, at a high point, it's a very high church, but at, at, at a high point it has an interesting stone sculpture. The interesting stone sculpture is really kind of out of, out of uh, kilter. It's not, not in a place where you'd think it'd be. But there in that particular area up on a high place is a sculpture of a lamb. 
And it's so obvious that it doesn't fit in with everything else that almost everyone who comes and notices the building, they will ask the question, why and what does that lamb mean? But the story is told that the reason that lamb is there is because whenever they were building the church, a stonemason, a stoneworker, was up on the building and he was doing stonework at that point. But whenever he made a misstep, lost his balance, he fell from that high point in the church to the ground. Everyone thinking who was working with him, he is certainly dead. Only the fact is that there were a flock of sheep who were down beside the church at that time. And when that man fell, he fell upon a sheep. It saved his life, but it crushed the life out of that sheep. And he made the commitment that because of what that sheep had done for him, he would sculpture that sheep into that church. Well, isn't that exactly what this passage said? Go back and look at verse 6. It says, he was crushed for us. (laughs) He was crushed for our sin, for our iniquity. So that is just an illustration in a physical sense of where each and every one of us are in a spiritual sense. All of us in a high place made a misstep. It's called sin. Amen? And sin causes you to fall and causes you that you might die. But bless God, there is the Lamb of God, the sheep of God, who took your weight, crushed under your sin, that you might live and that I might live. And just as that stone sculptor made that sheep image on that church so that everybody will remember you and I need to live that way. Amen. We need to live in such a way that everybody knows that we live because of the lamb of God. The reason we have life is because of the lamb of God. And as we sung earlier, he is worthy. <laughs> he is worthy for he, the lamb of God died for me. Not because he had to, Because he wanted to. And he knew that I needed it. And you needed it. Have you given your heart to Jesus today? If you've never put your faith and trust in him, you ought to. For he is the only one who took your place. He's the only one who died in your stay. He's the only one who offers to you forgiveness. He's the only one who is your hope. If you've never given your heart to Jesus, give your heart to Jesus today. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.